I introduce our speaker today, uh, Ken Ye. Really grateful to have him uh, share our sermon, our Easter sermon. And uh, he has two masters from Talbot. One in apologetics, which means any questions you have related to God, logic, evolution, he has the answer for. Um, and that's not true, but it's mostly true. Uh, he's had a lot of answers uh, for me as I was growing up as a Christian. And he has another master's from there in theology. Uh, Ken and I have known each other for maybe 20 years now. That's a really long time. Yeah. Sorry, Ken. And... Um, he was actually my youth pastor growing up. And one of the things I always remember about Ken is how we as a church uh, did some theological swings. Um, and there were moments at my first church where I just, I just felt like I was swinging theologically. But Ken was always this person who rooted us down and wanted to teach scripture well and, and not be driven by emotion or fads or hype. But he just really had this strong rootedness in the word, and he really, really rooted down my faith. So I'm just really grateful that he's with us in our community, and he's sharing the word of God with us today. All right, Ken, here's the mic. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, we also play Vainglory together. Yeah. That's been awesome. Oh, you have to tell them that now. Yeah, we go way back. I think um, I sometimes tell people I, maybe God put me here to help keep Wilson humble because I know of, of all the things from before. Stories. Stories, stories. Okay. Um, yeah, good memories, good memories. Now, happy Easter. I'm so glad to see all of you here. Thanks. Thank you. And Facebook has kind of been in the news. It's got... Some a lot of features. There's a lot of things I don't like about Facebook, <laughs> um, but one of the things I really do like is the thing called the "On This Day," okay? Because it, it brings back these nice memories. Maybe sometimes they're not so nice memories, but most of the time they're good stuff because it's stuff that you you post, okay? Uh, so, so I was looking back on Facebook on this day uh, for my timeline, um, and it showed some things from my from my past. Um, on this day, uh, many years back, I declared that I took a vow of celibacy um, before our church. Really? Okay. Um, on this day, I also uh, received a, a a contract to teach at a school called Rivendell Sanctuary. If you're a Lord of the Rings fan, yes, it's that Rivendell. Okay. Um, it's a school. It's like a, a really neat uh, Christian school in Milwaukee. Um, um, that I was given an offer to teach there. Uh, on this day, uh, not that long ago, actually, um, I received a contract to publish my book, The Life of Ty, um, Myths and Realities of Technically Inclined Educators. And, um, and it, it was just, I was just floored because they agreed to uh, allow me to retain the movie rights for, uh, for the book. But probably the most important um, event that I can recall from from on this day um, was the birth of my daughter April. Um, and um, if you don't know the story, um, it's just it's, she because I was stuck in traffic trying to get home um, when my wife called that she was you know in labor. Um, so it, my daughter was actually delivered in in our home um, on on the kitchen floor. <laughs> um, and uh, it's, 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 it's a pretty remarkable 
uh, story. Maybe I'll have to tell it to you guys one of these days um, or, or later today. Okay? And the reason that it has to be today and that reason that these all occurred on this day um, is, is that, of course, because all of these life events were part of my annual tradition of concocting a very elaborate April Fool's joke. <laughs> um, and so it's, <laughs> it, it's been a tradition for me for I don't know how many years. Um, that, that celibacy one was probably the first one. And, and I thought that, you know, it's, everyone would know that it's a joke. But afterwards, I got like dozens of people congratulating me and offering their prayers and blessings <laughs> to me for that, you know, they're like, I, I couldn't do this myself, but I know God's got a plan for you. <laughs> I was like, man, how am I going to tell them? <laughs> um, over the years, you know, some of my closest friends have learned to never trust anything that I write um, or say on this day. But still, people still will, will you know, will get taken in. Uh, my daughter, or my, not my daughter, <laughs> my cousin Joy, um, in response to one of these, put it really well. She said uh, to me, uh, I don't know what to believe anymore. Ever heard of the story of the kid that cried wolf and then got eaten by a wolf? And it was terribly tragic. I don't know why, but I just think of that story when I think of you. <laughs> That's my cousin Joy. Yeah. Today is Easter, and it's also April Fool's Day. And the last time that Easter was on April 1st was back in 1956. If you, some of you may have seen a post that in um, 11 years from now, it's going to be on this day again. Um, maybe I'll get the chance to let me preach that day. Um, but around the world today, millions of Christians are celebrating the resurrection of, of Jesus Christ. In light of this juxtaposition of these two days, Easter and, and April Fool's Day, the question that I'd like to pose for us today is this. Did Jesus truly rise from the dead? Or have we all been played by the most elaborate April Fool's joke in the history of in all of history. Uh, join with me in prayer. Father God, we want to lift up your word and we just ask for your spirit to, to be here with us. We thank you for this day um, that we celebrate your son's resurrection. May you speak to us, to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Now, the secret to producing, um, I guess, or for me, one of the secrets of producing a good April Fool's joke is crafting a fine balance between truth and, and the ridiculous, okay? Um, so, for example, I would always put something that's, something facets that are true, but then some facets that I, that I would think are, you know, would give it away that it's, it's a joke. Like, for example, with the birth of my daughter here, um, People know that there is a lot of traffic on the 210, so that part was, was believable. Um, uh, I've mentioned how uh, my son had to uh, use a zip tie to tie up the umbilical cord so I could cut it. Um, I thought that was pretty ridiculous, but some people actually thought that was true because they, they think my son can, does that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> um, 
what was actually really most interesting was that on with, with the birth of uh, with this one um, was that in fact my daughter was in fact born on on this day um, she was born actually eleven days earlier than than her due date um, when I was writing this I was writing this up you know getting ready to post this the night before uh, and that's when my my, my wife said, you know, I think I'm going into labor. <laughs> I was like, really? <laughs> Are you joking? <laughs> um, no, she, she really went into labor. And so um, so my daughter was born. I had to wait till after my daughter was born before I could post this, um, this story. Um, that picture really is my daughter's picture. Um, her name is not April. Um, I, I put in April, you know, a Chinese name, April Fujie. Um, I thought that was going to be the clue, right? <laughs> April food, yeah, means Chinese, okay? But but still, people congratulated me. Uh, that first message down there, that's my uh, that's my sister-in-law. <laughs> um, but my daughter Madeline was in fact born on this day, so it was in fact a little bit of a joke on on me, okay? Um, but many people, okay, they may believe and accept that Jesus was a real person, okay? They may accept. They may accept that he was a wise teacher. Uh, maybe people may even think that he was probably the most woke man in his time. Okay? Um, but the part where people turn away and say, "No, that's that's not true. That's got to be a joke," is when we get when when the gospels say that Jesus rose from the dead. Okay, and yet for Christians, that is the most crucial and decisive truth about Jesus. In 1 Corinthians, um, probably was one of the earliest um, of the New Testament uh, manuscripts that, that we have um, available. Paul wrote to, in his letter to the Corinthians, um, chapter 15, If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are, of all people, most to be pitied. Last week, if you're here, um, Pastor Dave gave a gripping account of the crucifixion. Um, The cross, and and those who are here uh, on Friday night at the Good Friday service, we had the stations to to remember and commemorate um, what Jesus did on the cross. The cross represents the extreme sacrifice that Jesus endured. But without the resurrection, the crucifixion has little meaning to us personally. All of the things that Jesus said and did, if it ended at the cross, it would not be enough. It would not have meaning because it would have been over. And it would be no different than acts of any other righteous or upright man. On the cross, Jesus showed that he loved us. But it is through the resurrection that proves that this sacrifice can truly save us. Because it proved his claim to be the Son of God who takes away the sins of the world. What I would like to do today is to present a case for the resurrection of Christ. Um, what I'll be using is kind of a condensed um, version of, of some lines, a line of reasoning used by uh, Christian apologist William Lane Craig. He's probably one of the foremost uh, Christian debaters um, and apologists and theologians um, of our time. 
uh, if you've ever had a chance to see some of his materials or watch some of his debates, um, you know, God's really used him in uh, some pretty mar- uh, marvelous ways. So I'm going to give a, a, a very brief um, outline of evidences that I think we use to um, hold for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The three, there's three main points um, that I like to, to use uh, for this. First is that Jesus was crucified and was buried. You can't have the resurrection without this, this aspect. The second point is that his tomb was found empty on the third day. And the third point is that Jesus' disciples were transformed by their experience of witnessing Jesus alive from the dead. So these three lines of evidence is taken together. If we can show that these are valid evidences, then the point to the question is, what would be the best explanation for these three evidences that, that we have here? Um, as I said, this is going to be just a brief summary. Books, whole books, can and have been written about each of these, these, these points. Um, take an entire class on, on these in seminary. In fact, um, k- k- kind of as an aside, William Lane Craig was my first professor um, when I started at Talbot School of Theology. I had just graduated from undergrad. It was like an interterm class, four weeks long. So a whole semester course crammed into four weeks. It was a senior elective theology class, so most of the people in that class were all, like, about to graduate, and I was just this little undergrad, but since I was, like, you know, a pastor's kid, I thought I would, I could handle it. <laughs> um, after the first week, I had, like, a D plus, and I had to tell the professor Craig, you know, I don't think I'm ready for this yet, and he's like, yeah, maybe, yeah, I don't think you are, <laughs> and I dropped the class, um, but he's, he's a brilliant guy. So, if you do have questions afterwards, I'd be happy to, to talk with you afterwards or on our, our, our renewed church Facebook page and uh, Wilson as well as some of the other leaders. We'd be glad to, to be, talk more in, in, in depth about, um, about this. So let's start into the first point here that Jesus was crucified and was buried. Okay. So we have the gospel account, all the four gospel accounts have the account of the crucifixion and the burial of, of Jesus. And, and, and sometimes, when we talk about this, the first point that people bring up is, well, you're using the gospels as, as evidence. How can you use the gospels? Because obviously the gospel writers have, are biased, they're going to be trying to uh, make things look the best possible you know, because they, they want to establish their, their religion, the religion of, of Christianity. Um, and a response to that um, can be this. Um, just because you may be in favor of a position or of something doesn't necessarily mean then that, that your testimony is unreliable. An um, example would be, um, you know, like use the example of like Chick Hearn with the Lakers or Vince Scully with the Dodgers. They were, they were the legendary you know, play-by-play announcers for these two respective teams. They're massive fans of their teams, but just because they're massive fans of their teams, does that mean that when they're giving the play-by-play of description of what's going on, that their testimony is is unreliable? And and, and we would agree that it's not. Okay? So, and if you look at the actual details of what the gospel writers describe, how they describe about the 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 burial of Jesus, um, it actually makes no sense if you think of that they were trying to make the case for 
to establish like the apostles as the leaders of the church. If that's what they were trying to do, they did it exactly the wrong way. Why do I say that? Okay, first point. Jesus, the gospel says that Jesus was buried by Joseph of Arimathea. Who was he? He was a member of the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish council that had actually voted to have Jesus executed. Okay, Um, so why would the Christian writers give the honor of burying their leader, their master, to a member of the council that had actually, that had wanted, asked, and had Jesus executed in the first place, unless that's what actually happened. Um, together, some, you know, some of us also talks about Nicodemus being part of this, um, helping Joseph of Arimathea to, to bury Jesus. Nicodemus was a member of the Pharisees, who, as you look at the Gospel accounts, were probably one of the chief oppositions to Jesus and his, his disciples. Second point, women were the key witnesses of where Jesus was buried. And in order to understand this point, you need to understand the context of the status of women at this time. During this time, women had no, little to no legal standing um, in uh, in this society. That their testimony was not seen as valid in any kind of court of law, okay? Because they were seen as unreliable, uh, fickle, just their, their word was not accepted. Um, and so you, and yet you have the gospel writers describing, painting this scenario of the, the apostles all scared for their lives in hiding while this member of the Sanhedrin, um, a Pharisee, and the women were only ones who were taking that, that making the effort to, to give Jesus a proper burial. That's certainly not a very good way to make the case for the apostles as being the leaders of the church, unless that's what actually took place. Um, the apostle Paul, as we said, testifies to this burial and resurrection of, of Jesus. And this is important because Paul's record, Paul's uh, letters were probably some of the earliest manuscripts of the New Testament, and they are consistent with the account that's sort of given in the gospel, showing that there was no change, no fabrication that took place over an extended period of time uh, of the gospel accounts. And the last point here with this thing is that there is no other burial tradition in, in Christianity, um, that this is the established um, description of the events that took place there was no competing theories uh, you know where different theories came about until one finally like took over okay so we can be um confident in the account gospel account that jesus was crucified and that he was in fact buried um in a tomb by joseph of arimathea next point then um in john chapter 20 gives the description of the Easter morning. And I'm just going to read it for us. Um, pick here. On the first day of the, f- of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We do not know where they have laid him. 
So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in the place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. And this gives that description of the discovery that Jesus' tomb was empty on, on the third day. Um, last week, for, for, for whatever reason, uh, my kids were wanted to show me their magic tricks. Um, <laughs> and um, they're, they're not that good, <laughs> to be honest. Um, and, and it's, you know, somebody says a parent, it's hard to know how to be honest and, and not discourage them, but still, you know, not, not like lead them on and say that they can do it, but, but kind of inspired by them. Um, I want to do a magic trick for us. Okay. So I have the, this is one of the Easter eggs that we got from, um, from our Easter egg hunt, you know, a couple of weeks back here. Okay. And I have a little bunny. If you're a my Little Pony fan, you might recognize. This is Fluttershy's little bunny. <laughs> okay? So, I'm going to put so Bunny in here, and I am going to make him, her, him, <laughs> disappear. Okay? And he's gone. Okay, that was, that was kind of my reaction when my kids were doing their magic tricks. <laughs> um, what's, what am I trying to show here? What's the point here? Okay. The point is this. I said that the, this, the, the, the money disappeared. Okay. Um, probably none of you believe me. Um, and, but most importantly, you know, I cannot say and prove that, that th- this egg is empty if, in fact, the egg was not empty. You know, pollen came up, showed that, you know, in fact, the bunny was still in here, okay? So the first point in regards to the empty tomb is this. The apostles, the disciples, the gospel writers could not have said that Jesus' tomb was empty if, in fact, if Jesus' body was, in fact, still in the tomb, Okay? Um, because the gospel, if the, as the apostles are preaching that Jesus has been raised from the dead, all that the Jews or the soldiers would have to do is to open up the tomb and bring out Jesus' body. And that would, that the whole story that the gospel, that the, the apostles were preaching would completely fall apart and there would be no Christian church today. Okay. Instead, the, the opposition, the Jews who are opposing the Christians, um, all the arguments that were raised by the early uh, Jewish arguments against the, the resurrection was that the tomb or that the disciples had stolen the body from the tomb. Now that's important because it establishes that Jesus' tomb was in fact empty. There was no body, no body, no body has ever been found um, that could have, you know, could have showed that the disciples' story was wrong. 
Um, this is called an argument from an opposition or, or, or argument from a hostile source, and it's a pretty strong uh, line of reasoning because you know, what it's showing is that those who would most want to show that a story is false can't disprove that, that story. Instead, they have to try to come up with some other alternative explanation for this. In the, the account in John, we saw that, again, it was the women who were the ones who had discovered this tomb. Again, while the disciples were still hiding out for fear of their lives, it was the women who were taking, you know, who were not afraid to to try to um, pay their respects to their fallen Lord, to their fallen teacher, and it was the women who had made that discovery. When you think again about the the status, the legal status of women, why would the gospel writers use women to make the case that the tomb was empty to state that, unless it was in fact true? And the last piece here is that Jesus' tomb um, was not venerated as a shrine. Okay? Unlike when the tombs of other prophets or, or, or respected teachers of the time, um, which were, were you know, commemorated and people would go there to, to worship or to, um, to remember, Jesus' tomb was not venerated. Why? Because all of the apostles, the disciples of Jesus, the early church knew there was no reason to. That tomb was empty. It was an empty tomb. Jesus had risen. The third and final point, um, line of evidence for the resurrection, and probably the most crucial one, is the, the post-resurrection appearances and the transformation of Jesus' apostles. Okay. Um, Many of the, 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 the many of the apostles of Jesus, the ones who had been with him uh, through the years, um, historians show that most of them were martyred for their faith. You know, as part of their, they went to different locations and countries uh, to preach the gospel as missionaries, and, and all of uh, many of them were martyred for their faith. Uh, the apostle Peter, Simon Peter, was crucified upside down. James, the son of Zebedee, he's the brother of John, the one who wrote the, the Gospel of John, um, was also executed. Uh, the Apostle Paul was executed in Rome. Uh, James, the other James, who was the brother of Jesus, um, Mary and Joseph had other children um, after Jesus was, was born. So James was kind of like the half-brother, uh, you could say, of, of Jesus. And accounts seem to suggest that he did not accept that Jesus was who he said he was, when Jesus, during Jesus' earthly ministry. Um, but afterwards, he became one of the prime leaders, the, the key leaders of uh, the church in Jerusalem. And he later died. He was executed as a martyr um, for that belief. Now, if you have any siblings, okay, what would it take for you to believe that your sibling was the Son of God such that you would be willing to die for that belief? I'm an only child. It's hard for me, but you know, if you have a sibling, um, think about that. Now, a rebuttal here: an argument that people is often raised here is that many religions have martyrs for their faith. Okay, many people have died for what they believe, and that's true. But what is unique here, and the response that I would give here, what is unique here about the? the these, these apostles, is that they were willing to die for the specific belief that they had seen the risen Jesus. 
they weren't just dying for some belief that they had been led to accept by someone else, okay? They claimed to have been witnesses, direct eyewitnesses of the risen Lord, okay? And so they would know if they're, so the fact that they were willing to die for that gives strong credence to the, the, the validity of that claim, okay? Um, let me go here. Uh, Sean McDowell um, wrote a book kind of examining uh, these apostles and, the, and how they were martyred, um, and he gave this statement in one of his chapters. The strength of their conviction of the apostles, marked by their willingness to die, indicates that they did not fabricate these claims. Rather, without exception, they actually believed Jesus to have risen from the dead. While many people, yes, indeed, are willing to die for their beliefs, how many would die for a known lie? If disciples knew that Jesus had not risen from the dead, if they had, for example, for example actually stolen the body, as the Jews had said, would they really have all chosen to have suffered, been um, punished, been tortured, and all, um, and, and, and be willing to die for that lie? All of them throughout the history um, never recanted what they believed, what they stated, that they had seen the risen Lord. I take my April Fool's jokes very seriously, but I would certainly not be willing to, to be put to death or, or tortured or even suffer some brief physical pain just to keep that joke going. And yet, all these apostles, to a man, were willing to go to the grave for their claim that they had seen the risen Lord. Some would say, well, you know, maybe they're trying to perpetuate this, what they had learned from Jesus, you know, just to keep this, this, uh, this faith going, okay? Um, but when you look at the gospel accounts, and when you look at what was um, said, that what, the gospel, what the disciples learned from Jesus while he was living was not enough to account for their belief that he was the Christ, not to mention the Son of God, who had come to take away the sins of the world. The crucifixion was a complete shock, a surprise to the disciples. It, was, it would have crushed all their hopes and beliefs that they had that Jesus was the Messiah. Because the view of the Messiah at the time was that they had no, was that the Messiah would reign forever. Okay? Um, Jesus would have died as nothing more than the beloved teacher, or actually perhaps worse, because in, among the Jewish culture, to be executed or crucified is to be condemned as a heretic. And so these disciples would have, the, the crucifixion would have been the end to all of their beliefs, what they had thought about who Jesus was. Uh, William Lane Craig writes, the disciples had no conception of a dying, much less a rising Messiah, for Messiah would reign forever. Instead, though, the disciples, after the crucifixion, began to proclaim the bodily resurrection of Jesus and that this was proof that Jesus was the Messiah. A uh, Jewish theologian, Orthodox Jewish theologian, not one who's usually, you know, argues in this, um, in favor of this, uh, his name is Pincus Lapidi. He wrote a book called The Resurrection of Jesus, A Jewish Perspective. And in the book, he explains how re-examining the evidences for the resurrection, that he had come to accept the resurrection as historic fact. Now, he did not accept the claim that Jesus was the Messiah, 
there's a theological, he has a theological difference there. But he does accept the, the historic resurrection of Jesus. And he gave this um, account, which I thought was really well written. I'll read it for you. When this scared, frightened band of apostles, which was just about to throw away everything in order to flee in despair to Galilee, when these peasants, shepherds, and fishermen who betrayed and denied their master and failed him so miserably suddenly could be changed overnight into a confident mission society, convinced of salvation, and able to work with much more success after Easter than before, then no vision or hallucination is sufficient to explain such a revolutionary transformation. If the defeated and oppressed group of disciples overnight can change into a victorious movement of faith based only on our suggestion or self-deception without a fundamental faith experience, then this would be a much greater miracle than the resurrection itself. And what we're putting together is this. The three evidences that we have before us, that Jesus was crucified and was buried, that his tomb was found empty, and that his apostles, those who had known him, were completely transformed afterwards, proclaiming that they had seen the risen Lord Jesus Christ. These three facts taken together the most reasonable and sufficient, the only reasonable and sufficient explanation for that is that Jesus had in fact risen from the dead and that these disciples had seen him and that's what led to that transformation from the scared ragtag band of peasants and fishermen to the the greatest missionary movement ever known in, in history such that they were all willing to die and suffer for that belief. The bodily resurrection of Jesus and his subsequent appearance to his disciples is that best explanation of these historic evidences. No other explanation can sufficiently account for these, um, these points that we have here. The early Christians were united in their belief and testimony that Jesus was raised from the dead. From the earliest writings of Paul, found in his letters um, to the gospel accounts, they state one in, in, in unity that the resurrection of Jesus formed the core of the Christian faith, without which there would be no faith at all. It's because of this that for us as Christians, for myself as a Christian, that when we celebrate Easter, that we are not, that we are not worshiping a God who is dead, that we are worshiping a living Lord a living Lord and Savior. Because of the resurrection, we know that when Jesus died, yes, that's, that's you, know, you know, for someone to die for us, that's pretty amazing. But because we know that he was raised from the dead, that fact alone is what makes his death sufficient to save my sins and for all of us. And that's what the gospel message is. That Jesus is the Lord and Savior. That he, and God raised him from the dead to show and confirm his love for us. And that is why on this Easter day, as it says in the Gospels, we can celebrate with the one who said, he is no longer here in the grave. He has risen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we celebrate that you are alive. We celebrate that you are the living Savior. 
and that you, while you suffered and died on the cross, that you took that punishment for us. That we are saved because you also have been raised. And that we know that we too will be raised with you one day. Thank you, Father, for this, the cross, but thank you even more so for the resurrection in which we have this hope of eternal life with you. In Jesus' name. Really appreciate you sharing with us this morning. And um, I've been able to, again, be under Ken as an older brother for a long time. And one of the things he's taught me in my own faith is that I never have truth is never afraid of questions. Truth can always stand on its own. You know, we don't have to run from our questions and doubts if what we really believe is true. And so me and Ken have, I've asked Ken a lot of questions and asked other professors a lot of questions. And that's the kind of place we want to be here at Renew. We want to be a place where you can bring your questions and your doubts and we can discover uh, truth together. And I also wanted to think about uh, for those of you who might still be discovering the Christian faith, you know, and you have that one thing um, that you're like, man, I would be Christian except for suffering in the world or except that I don't, not, I'm still not sure about the resurrection or except evolution, you know, all of these different uh, exceptions. Maybe I would ask you, like, there's a lot of good thoughts and, and really strong philosophers who have written about these things, and I would love to go through it with you. But maybe this morning, I would just ask, if that question was answered, would you want to be a Christian? You know, if, if, all of your, if all of your questions were answered, would you want to be a Christian? Or would you still want to not follow Jesus? And, um, and, and it's actually a really interesting question because it speaks about the motivation in our heart, right? Where, where is our heart really dispositioned and, and facing and aligned to? Um, and so that's the question I kind of want to leave with you this morning, especially if you're um, thinking about this faith. We want to be here to answer, to have discussions, to think logically. But at the end of the day, um, if you had that one or two or three questions answered, would you want to follow this Jesus? Would you want him to be Lord of your life? I invite the worship team to come up and uh, we're going to have a time of worship and then also, um, and also lead us into communion. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for um, who you are and your resurrection. And not only do we see it in history, but we get to look around this room and see your life uh, shape our lives, um, give us purpose and hope in places we didn't have it. Let us look at death and, and not be afraid or find forgiveness for our sins so that we can become better. And so I am grateful so much for this life that, that you have claimed 2,000 years ago for not just yourself, but for all of us. And even today, as we go to the beach and hear uh, these four testimonies, it's testimonies of the resurrection giving each one of them life as they found you to be their Lord and Savior. Really grateful for everyone that came today, and I hope that we would, um, we would see this not as a faith that we're blindly holding on to, but as a truth that we've discovered and a truth that would transform and change who we are. In Jesus' name, amen.